You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Nehemiah chapter number 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. Amen. And let's pray. Our Father, we pray you would bless now the preaching of your word, and we know that it is the word of God that has the power. It's not my words, it's not our ideas, but it's uh, the truth from the Bible. And I pray that we would uh, be uh, receptive. I pray that we would allow the word of God to speak to us. I pray that we would notice and, and, and receive the correction and see areas that need to be changed in our lives. And I pray that we would make those changes, and I pray we confess our sin, and may we be right with you. May we be a people. Uh, that would be holy. May we be a people that would be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And I want to say thank you, Brother uh, George, for singing that song. I was, we were talking about that a little bit Wednesday night about the fact that I'm glad my salvation is not dependent upon me holding on to God, but my salvation is dependent upon Him holding on to me. And uh, He will hold you fast. Whatever you're going through, uh, there is nothing too great for the grip of our Heavenly Father. He is a great God and He is a great Savior. Nehemiah, we have seen in these first four chapters, we have seen the focus is on the building or the rebuilding of the wall. You see, that wall in Jerusalem was destroyed. It was around 606 B.C. that the Babylonians came and they destroyed Jerusalem uh, they broke down the wall, they burned the temple, they burned the houses, they ransacked the place, they took the treasures from the house of God and took them off into Babylon, and that's another message for another day. But that has been the focus now, is that Nehemiah is back trying to help the people and organize the rebuilding of the wall. Remember in Nehemiah chapter 1 that he heard that the city was in waste and he was so burdened that he, 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 he said to the king, he said, I, I need to do something about it. And he did. He went back and he's been focused on the building of this wall. Well, keep in mind that it was around 536 B.C. that Cyrus issued the decree. He was the king of Persia. He issued the decree that the Jews could return back to their land. Now, that was a miracle. They got a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
They were in Babylonian captivity and they didn't think there was any hope. And the king of Persia got impressed upon Cyrus to let the people go back to Jerusalem. And so they went back. Well, when they got back, they obviously had a lot of work to do. And they found themselves in very difficult times, both uh, economically, um, they were, there were shortage of food, there was a lack of defense and a lack of protection from their enemies. And so Nehemiah comes back, and in the middle of all this, uh, they're, they're rebuilding the wall, but there are still problems that need to be addressed. So in chapter 5, the Bible tells us that there was a great cry, verse 1, of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Now, as we get started in chapter 5, I'll give you an outline. Number one, I want you to jot down if you're taking notes. Number one, there was a cry from the people. Now, this cry, the Bible says it was a great cry. This was the people crying out to Nehemiah and saying, we've got problems. We are being mistreated. We are being taken advantage of. Uh, we are, are, are having our, our land and our, our property and our houses and, and all these things that we are losing because there are people that are not doing things the right way. Let me say this, if there is a need that you have, if there is a need that I have, I hope we always are quick to cry out to God for it. And if you have a need that somebody can help or if there's an injustice, I think it's good that you report that injustice. I don't think you need to say, well, you know, I don't want to tell on anybody or I don't want to report a crime. No, of course you should. But we have, in our society, we have become so sensitive and we have become so spoiled that we cry about the most foolish things ever. Can I tell you what some people cry about today? And I, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just a few things off the top of my head. But you know what people cry about today? I don't have a cell phone. And I need a cell phone. I've got to have a $1,000 cell phone, right? That's a need for most people today. I, don't, I, need, I need Wi-Fi. I need faster Wi-Fi. And by the way, I'm talking now about people that don't work either, right? You understand that? But I, I've got to have this phone, and I've got to have this Wi-Fi, and I've got to have all these things, and I've got to have all this money, and I've got to have everybody else take care of me when I'm not willing to work. That's a problem. That's not the kind of cry I'm talking about. Or how about this? And again, I shouldn't get off on this rabbit trail, but I will, and if I offend you, I'm sorry. Um, well, maybe I'm not, but... How about this? I, I, ne I never took out a student loan, and so I don't, know, I don't know how that works, but I assume that if you took out a student loan, I assume they didn't just, like, assign it to you. I assume you had to sign something, like you had to agree to pay it back. I'm just assuming. I don't know that. I'm not a banker. I'm not a, uh, a financial advisor or anything like that. But now there's the cry, is there not? We don't want to pay for it. We don't want to do it. We want somebody else to pay for it. Boy, we live in a, a, a spoiled society. We live in a spoiled generation where nobody wants to work, but everybody wants the benefits of work, right? And so this is not the cry we're talking about here. These were people with legitimate needs who were actually being abused 
by the wealthy people in Jerusalem. You see, it says in verse number two that they said, we, our sons, our daughters are many. We've got a lot of people and we don't have enough food. We don't have enough money to buy food that we can eat and live. Verse three, there's another group. They said, we have mortgaged our lands, our vineyards and our houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. Because there was a famine, there were people that were taking their houses and their properties and they were having to mortgage those properties just so they could get enough money to buy groceries to feed their families. These were terrible times. These were very difficult times. And what was going on is during these times, there were people in Israel that were loaning money and they were charging their brothers, they were charging their, uh, their fellow Jews, they were charging them interest. And God's word had commanded in the uh, uh, book of Deuteronomy that they were not supposed to charge their brethren interest. They could make loans. They could make loans and expect to be paid back. But they were not allowed to charge interest. Now, if you're here today and you are a banker or you work for a financial institution or whatever, and your business charges interest, that is perfectly fine. That's business. But we're not talking about business transactions here. We're talking about if I were to come down to Brother Dale and, uh, and Brother Dale said, hey, pastor, I need to borrow 20 bucks. I need, to, I need something, you know, and I'll, I'll pay you back. And I said, ooh, well, how much are you going to give me back? He says, well, if you loan me 20, I'll give you 20 back. And I say, oh, no, I want 40 back. Well, now, and that is high interest, let me tell you that, Okay. But what am I doing? I'm taking advantage of a situation. I'm taking advantage of a brother in Christ. And I'm not just, not just alone. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about the interest. The Bible word here is the word usury or interest that they were charging their brothers. And people were trying to get enough money to eat. And people were being taken advantage of. People were having, they were losing their houses and losing their lands. Notice verse number uh, four. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Now, here's what they were saying. They said, we've got to pay our taxes. <laughs> and we got to borrow money just to pay our taxes. Boy, we're getting pretty close, aren't we? I think we're almost there in the United States of America. You're going to have to go and take out a loan just to pay your taxes, right? And that's what the people were saying. They said, we've got to pay King Cyrus and we don't have enough money. And if we don't pay our taxes, we're going to be in trouble. So we are mortgaging our houses and our lands and we're losing our property because we can't pay it back with the interest that our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters are charging us. Then it gets down to verse number five. And this is where you know it's very serious. They said in verse 5, Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. Lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are, bought, are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Things were so bad that in Bible days, you could, you could sell yourself to be a servant. Or you could sell your children to be servants. You say, well, who in the world would do that? Somebody who thought that their children might starve to death if they didn't do that. 
And here's what we're saying is it was so bad that people were literally selling their sons and daughters as servants with the hopes that they could pay the money to get them back. But the interest was so high that were, they were being charged by their brothers that they couldn't even get their children back. And they said, we've sold some of our children and some of them before they're even born, they're already brought into bondage. They're already servants even before they're born. And the people were crying out to Nehemiah and saying, please, please do something. You see, there was a cry, number one. Number two, I see the cheating of God's people. There were those that charged interest. They took advantage of a situation and cared nothing about the people. They cared nothing about helping. They cared nothing about meeting needs. They only cared about themselves. But number three, I see the Christ-like reaction. And I say that because I want you to notice verse number six. When you read verse 6, you might say, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like, but it absolutely is. Verse 6, Nehemiah said, and I was very, what's the next word? Angry. He said, I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. You know what I say to that? Amen. Somebody should be angry. I think you'd be angry too. If you knew of somebody that was disobeying the word of God as the Jews were, they were charging their brothers and sisters' interests. They were taking advantage of a situation. They were getting land and property and servants in famine times and in times of war. And they were, they were taking advantage of people for personal gain. Nehemiah said, I was very angry. Did you know that being angry is not a sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus got angry. Remember when Jesus went into the temple and he threw out the money changers and he was flipping over those tables? Can I tell you, he was angry. There was a righteous indignation that Jesus had. I'll say this, in Mark chapter 4, there was a man that had a withered hand. And that man had a withered hand and Jesus saw him on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus was ready to heal him. And he asked the Pharisees that were there, he said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to save life? Is it lawful to help somebody on the Sabbath? And you know what those Pharisees did? We're not answering that. We don't want you to heal this guy. Hey, that's his tough luck. That's his problem. That's his withered hand. Can you imagine that poor man standing there? He's got a withered hand, probably, probably from birth. He's never been able to use that hand. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, ready to heal him. And here's the Pharisees. Well, Jesus shouldn't be doing that. Because, you know, you can't lift a finger on the Sabbath day. Which, by the way, that was not the truth and that was not the way. But those Pharisees were so twisted in their thinking and they had so many rules and so many regulations beyond what the Bible taught that they did not even want to see a man get healed by Jesus on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says Jesus was angry. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, Be ye angry and sin not. Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry with the Pharisees. Jesus was angry with the religious crowd. Jesus was angry because of their attitude of, of selfishness and their attitude of, 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 of piousness and their attitude of pride. 
as Christians, I want to say in 2022, we have become very passive. We have become very timid. As Christians, I'm afraid we don't get angry anymore. I'm not talking about getting angry in the drive-thru line because it takes too long for your fast food, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you're waiting in line at Walmart and they've only got three registers open and you think they should have four open. I'm not talking about that. But I believe as Christians, I believe we ought to get angry about sin. I think it ought to bother us. I think sin ought to make us mad. And not just everybody else's sin, I think our own sin ought to make us mad. I think our own sin, I think we ought to hate it. I think we ought to be angry. I think that we ought to have a boldness when it comes to the things of God. So, uh, Proverbs 28, 1, the righteous are bold as a lion. There's a time when a Christian needs to stand up for what is right and not back down. The Bible tells us in um, Ephesians 6, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We've got too many Christians that are walking around and they're afraid to tell the truth. They're afraid to say anything. They're afraid to do anything. They don't want to stir up anything. Well, I'm not looking for a fight, but I'll tell you this. We need to get mad about sin and we need to get mad about the devil again. I remember when I was a boy, I remember my dad, we were driving down a, a street not far from where we lived. And I remember there was a a store, and you know, as a child, you're always curious, like, what's that store? Why don't we go to that store? Whatever. And that's probably what I said. Dad, how can we never go to that store? You know, we always drive by it. And my dad said, well, son, that's a liquor store. And so we don't go there. And uh, I remember, I remember uh, as a child, I remember just kind of pondering. I just I remember musing as a child and thinking, well, why in the world is there a liquor store? There shouldn't be a liquor store there. And I remember one day we were driving by and asked my dad, I said, Dad, I said, we know that liquor is wrong. And it wasn't just because that was our family preference. That's because that was what the Bible taught and what the preacher preached then. And guess what? In 2022, that's still what the Bible teaches. And that's still what the preacher preaches here. Because the Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And you say, well, pastor, I don't really believe all that. Well, first of all, you ought to believe what the Bible says. But even if you didn't believe what the Bible says, I wish I could take you down this hallway and have you sit in my office with me when you hear about families that have been destroyed because of alcohol. I wish you could hear about the marriages and the homes and the children and the lives that have been destroyed because of the effects of alcohol. I remember, and I, I wasn't there for this, my wife was a, a, a child, and at her church when she was growing up, her dad brought into the auditorium. I'm not going to do this, but I'm glad he did it. He brought in a burn barrel into the auditorium, and he lit a fire in the burn barrel. And I think he, I think he had some alcohol from somewhere. I don't know where he got it from. Probably from some of the staff, you know, it's probably where he got it. But if, if I, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. But he was pouring the alcohol into the burn barrel with the fire going in the auditorium. And as the flames are coming out of that barrel, he is telling the, 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 the people there and the children, the adults and the teens, he's saying, don't you ever, don't you ever. And can I tell you, you say, oh, that is so extreme. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what's extreme is I'll tell you people that want to say, I can play with it. 
it won't affect me. It won't affect my family. It won't affect my marriage. It won't affect my job. It won't affect my kids. It won't affect me when I'm driving down the road. And it won't affect anybody around me. I got news for you. It will, and it will destroy. And that's why I hate it. My dad used to tell me when, when we talked about that story, and so here, here's the story. I got off on a rabbit trail. But I asked my dad, I said, well, why doesn't somebody burn that store down? And uh, he said, well, Jeremy, he said, that's not the way we do it. And by the way, that's not the way we do it. Because those people need the Lord and those people need to be saved and those people need the gospel and those people need the grace of God. But we should be angry about sin. We should be angry when we hear about adultery. We should be angry when we hear about affairs. We should be angry when we hear about uh, pornography. We should be angry when we hear about people that lie and people that cheat and people that steal. We should be angry when we hear about people that have pride and bitterness. And we should be angry at the sin of others, but we should most of all be angry with the sin of ourselves. But I'm afraid sin doesn't bother us that much anymore. We've gotten used to it, haven't we? Maybe it's because of the television. Maybe it's because we see it all the time. Maybe it's because it's crept into our own home or it's crept into our own family and so we just think it's not that big of a deal. But I want to tell you, it was sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It is sin that will destroy your life. It is sin that will send a person to hell. And unless a person turns to Jesus Christ and repents of that sin, the Bible says they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I see that Nehemiah, he was angry. He was angry because of the sin and because of the deceit and because of the deception of the people. But then I see number four, I see the control. The Bible says in verse seven, then I consulted with myself. Now, at first reading of that, you think, Nehemiah's lost it. He's talking to himself. But how many of you know talking to yourself is actually a good idea? Because sometimes our first reaction is, I want to strangle somebody. First reaction is, I want to tell somebody how they're wrong and I want to give them a piece of my mind. That's first reaction. But after you talk to yourself, and after you talk to the Lord, and after you catch your breath, you know what's amazing? That's probably not the best thing to do, the first thing you wanted to do. Joanna will say to our girls, I, I don't think it's Lacey and Savannah as much. I think it's probably more the younger two, but she'll say, now you need to talk to yourself. And I want to say to Victory Baptist Church, and I want to say to myself, you need to talk to yourself. You're going to make things really, really bad. You're going to make things a whole lot worse if you just respond in the flesh and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Here's what Nehemiah said. He, I consulted with myself. I was so angry, I consulted with myself. He had control. I believe we should have control of our emotions. I believe that we should pray about things. I think we should think about things. I think we should get counsel. But Nehemiah said, I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, ye exact, or ye charge usury or interest, every one of, of his brother. He said, this is a problem. Now, Nehemiah did what every preacher is supposed to do. Nehemiah rebuked. The Bible says that a preacher is supposed to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, 
I've tried, as the pastor of this church for eight and a half years, I've tried to do a lot of exhorting, a lot of encouraging. I hope you know that. I hope you feel that way. I don't want you to come to church and every Sunday I'm just beating you over the head, you know, and telling you how terrible you are. I think we need encouragement. I think we, we, we need somebody to say, hey, God loves you. And, and you can make this and trust God and believe God. I think we need that. But I'll tell you what else we need. We need somebody that'll tell us the truth. We need somebody to preach against sin. There's enough TV preachers out there that'll never mention sin and never mention hell and never mention consequences and never mention anything negative. But you and I, we need somebody that will say, that's not right. That is not what the Bible says. That's not what God wants you to do. And Nehemiah did that. He rebuked the people. But then I want you to notice number six. I see that was number five, the confrontation. Number six, the consideration. Nehemiah, as he's talking to the people, he says in verse 9, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I love this. Nehemiah says to these, these people that are charging interest and taking advantage of their brothers and sisters uh, there in Jerusalem, he says, didn't you ever consider what God would want you to do? Didn't that ever cross your mind? Didn't you ever think about living in the fear of God? And I want to say to Victory Baptist Church today on this Sunday, this week as we go out, let's think about that with every conversation we have, uh, every, every text message we send, uh, every email we send, every face-to-face -face conversation, every place we go, every activity we participate in. Let's ask this question. Would this be something that God would want me to do? And if the answer is no, don't do it. If you can't do it in the fear of the Lord, if you can't do it knowing that this is something that God would be pleased with, then stay away from it. Let's live in the fear of the Lord. That's the consideration number six. But then I see number seven, I see the correction. He says in verse 11, he says, you need to restore. You need to make this right. And in verse 12, then said they, we will restore and will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest. Wow. I wonder if Nehemiah, I wonder if he fell over. I mean, I wonder if he just fainted. I wonder if he was blown away. Wouldn't you be blown away if you were telling your teenage child, here's what you need to do, and here's what you need to get right, and the teenage child said, yes, sir, I'll do it. Yes, ma'am, I'll do it. I'll make it right. I'll do exactly what you told me to do. Wouldn't you be blown away if your employee at work responded that way after you as the manager or supervisor told them what they needed to do? You know why you'd be surprised? Because most people, we respond by, we get defensive. We get up our fists. Oh, no, you're not going to tell me. Who do you think you are? And sometimes we have that response when it comes to the Bible. God, I don't know who you think you are. Tell me what to do. I don't know what you think you're trying to do in this Bible and that preacher and that, that parent and that Sunday school teacher. I want to tell you this. We need to make the correction. Get it right. Just do what God says to do. And then I see number eight. I see the continuation in verse 16. Yea, also, I continued in the work of this wall. I love this. Nehemiah is trying to build a wall, and there's people problems. Now, this week, 
Not if, but when you have people problems. Not if, but when you have people problems this week, here's what I want you to do. Exactly what Nehemiah did, verse 16. Continue in the work. You can't quit. You can't throw in the towel. You can't give up. Say, well, I'm having problems with people, so I think I'll stop reading my Bible. No, reading your Bible is the very thing you need to do. I think I'm going to stop praying. No, don't stop praying. I think I'm going to stop going to church. I think I'm going to stop loving my wife and loving my kids. I think I'm just going to be mad. No, don't do that. Now is the time more than ever to continue in the work that God has given you. And then I see number nine. I see the catalyst. It's found in verse 19. Nehemiah says, think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Here was the catalyst. Here was the motivation for Nehemiah. He said, Lord, I know I'm not going to please everybody. He said, and it's a good thing because I'm not trying to please everybody. He said, God, I'm trying to please you. I want you to think upon me for good. I want you to be pleased with my life. Did you know if you're trying to please people, you will not always be successful? Because people can be very fickle. You might please somebody this week, and then the next week you do the same thing, and they're pleased one week, and they're not pleased the next. <laughs> Maybe you have a boss like that. I hope our church staff is not going to shake your head and say, yeah, we, we know about that. Now, the school staff, they might be able to you know, acknowledge that, you know, uh, have a boss that you never know what the boss is expecting. But I'll say this, we have a God who never changes. And if you're trying to please God, guess what? He's always the same. And he's given us his word. He's told us how to please him. He's told us how to live for him. And that will never change. That was Nehemiah's motivation. He said, I want to please the Lord. And then lastly, the compensation, verse 10, uh, excuse me, verse 19, the compensation number 10. He says, think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah, in verses 17 and 18, he talks about all the things that he had done to care for people and his generosity, not greed, but his generosity. He said, I, I loaned to people. He said, I didn't charge anybody interest. As a matter of fact, he said, I've, I've fed a lot of people. I didn't charge the governor for it. It came out of my own pocket. But Nehemiah says this, here's my compensation. He says, God, I want you to think upon me for good. And he says this, according to all that I have done for this people. If your compensation and how you get paid back is all coming from people and from applause and from recognition and from a pat on the back, you will be undercompensated in this life. How many of you know that's true? There's times you will break your neck at work and the boss, not only will the boss not notice, you'll get in trouble for something else. And you're thinking, what in the world is going on? There'll be times in a church, in a ministry, where you will do everything, you will bend over backwards, and somebody else gets the recognition, and you're thinking, why in the world did I do that? I don't even think anybody knows. I don't think anybody cares. But that'll never happen when you are serving God, and you are serving Him to please Him, 
you will never be undercompensated. I promise you that. You will stand and I will stand someday before a judgment seat of Christ and we will receive rewards for what we have done for the Lord. And that ought to be the reason we're living anyway. Living to please Him. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.